Welcome to the Race Ride Seat Podcast with Curve Cycling. This is episode five. I'm Jesse Carlson, and in this episode, I'm joined by two, uh, I guess, reasonably newcomers into the whole multi-day bikepacking thing. Um, I think it's fair to say I might have a little bit more experience than those guys. So anyway, what we're doing is we're going to talk a little bit about bikepacking, um, cover all sorts of aspects of bikepacking from, you know, how you get into it, bike setups, how the, the sort of multi-day thing differs from just your ordinary ride in terms of nutrition and gear that you're going to take and so on. Um, and also a few tales from the road from the indie pack as well from our two guests. I'll let them uh, be introduced once we kick it off. Uh, but yeah, this was based on some feedback that we received from everyone out there. So thanks for getting in touch and letting us know what you'd like to hear about. Um, so apologies, it gets a little bit rowdy in the virtual curve shed today. Um, it was in fact the curve shed itself and it was also a Friday evening which sometimes gets a little bit rowdy so apologize in advance for the <laughs> the extra noise and merriment going on in the background and also with us a little bit too I guess. Anyway so uh, let's get into it. Hello and welcome to the virtual curve shed for the, I don't even know what we're calling this. Is this Race Ride Seek Race Ride number Seek five. Podcast number five. Come on, J-Doc. Oh, looks, like, looks like someone's prepared this week. Um, you well. might have guessed it from his voice. We've got, we're joined again by, um, by, by the rhino himself, Ryan Flynn. He's looking very cold um, here at the, the Curve Virtual Shed. He's got, he's got one puffy jacket on um, and he's got a puffy vest on top of that as well and I he's still freezing. I think you'll find freezing. this is called a gilet. <laughs> uh, it's a, it's a uh, synthetic mink down wow. 900. So hopefully, hopefully you can hear Ryan speak underneath all of that insulation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's that South Park character? Carton, Kenny. Kenny, oh he's looking, looking a bit like Kenny. <laughs> anyway, I'm sure this is yeah, incredibly interesting for everyone. Um, <laughs> we're also joined by by Nick. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his surname. How do we pronounce it? Skarayev. Skarayev. Nick Skarayev. Um, or, as people know him, the scary Jew. Scary Jew. But now he's name. changed to the spooky Jew. <laughs> ah, he's the spooky Jew now. So Nick has um, Nick has been a long time curve customer until very recently when he rocked up today at the, <laughs> well, he at moved, the, the virtual he, shed and he's, he's moved to sydney and all of a sudden he's dropped curve and he's gone on to spooky because his new friends up in sydney zach at uh, skunkworks our good uh, wheel builder mate is obviously doing a lot of spooky builds and uh, caught the eye of our yeah, our, mate, our mate nick tell us more nick yeah i've still got my belgie so i've still got one <laughs> foot in the water <laughs> And I saw you were running CX wheels as well, so made by... Made by Curve. They were, made by Curve. They are actually Jesse's prototype wheels when they bought the G4s out. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Mate, those, so, are, those are as rare as hen's teeth. Yeah, pulled those up and blew the dust off them and <laughs> bottled them to something. And, yeah. Oh, wow. Uh -oh. So there's still a Curve product on the bike, so you qualify <laughs> yeah. for, for the podcast. So thank you. Thank you for joining us today. So... We've got, we had a fair bit of feedback recently about these podcasts and wanting them to happen a little bit more frequently. So obviously the quality is going to go down, um, as you've already seen. Um, but we're also, there's also a request about uh, talking about bikepacking a bit. So, and that's why I wanted to bring Nick and, and Ryan together. So Nick and Ryan both um, took part in the Indian Pacific wheel race. And so I thought it might be interesting to talk about, well, what are the differences between you know, just heading out on normal rides versus doing something that's multi-day. Um, people are interested in bike setups and, um, you know, and the, the different sorts of things that you can expect on multi-day rides and or bike packing. So maybe let's just start with, uh, let's start with Nick this time. Because I know I look, I, Ryan was itching to get cracking there. So we're going to leave him stewing a bit longer. So Nick, what's the, what do you find the, the difference was between, you know, just heading out for long day rides or that sort of thing versus doing multi-day stuff any yeah. surprising things that jumped out uh towards multi-day i suppose the biggest question that people have a lot what what should i take and there's really no set like cookie cutter way it's always uh take what you've got and then see how you go 
and you're going to bank on that experience and change around whether it be like sleeping equipment you could take something that's too heavy and isn't really used or take something that's not enough so it's always the setup that you've got when you head out on your first multi-day is not going to be what you're going to be having in a year's time it's always going to like the camper van (laughs) (laughs) the camper van of equipment that we took yeah well yeah yeah, can you tell tell me about your first multi-day ride or first time you went out and did an overnighter yeah first multi-day would have been touring around tasmania and much like anyone else i went through jesse's trans am setup and it's like, all right, well, that's just going to be the Bible. And I'm going to have this item and this item and this item. And then you realise well, what's, what's right for one person is not right for another. Jesse carries nothing and races really far, <laughs> never sleeps. Yeah. yeah. And only needs a dynamo to survive in the yeah. wilderness. But, uh, yeah, the uh, what you found is, like, you know, these three level of variables, like weight and ability to storage and and price and it's always going to you're always going to have to find a compromise between something you always you always run out of room I've I can't ever think of a time when I've been doing multi-day stuff where I was like oh gee I've got shitloads of space I should just uh, <laughs> uh, we should it's okay so you, can, you can you can, <laughs> you can, can swear, swear. We'll, we'll dub that out dub that out yeah. um, you'll always run out of space in your bags or whatever you've got you'll never yeah, you'll never have room. You you never have too much room, and you'll only ever really be able to take food-wise maybe enough for a day. You'd have to have really good storage to be able to store for multiple yeah. days. Rhino, can you tell us about your first multi-day riding experience? Oh, I can I can I, think I, of a few. I've done a, a few, few <laughs> checkered ones. I've done a and, few stupid things. Yeah, and I'll know. bring them up if you don't. So. <laughs> <laughs> You're a sweetheart. Um, gosh, multi-day stuff. Yeah, what was your first one? Surely one of the Sydney trips would be... Yeah. I think you just tried to ride to Sydney non-stop, non-stop. and there might have been a rescue mission from yes, an uncle, uncle Pete. <laughs> yes, Uncle Pete rescued me. Bloody hell, Jesse. Yeah, um, so what happened on that adventure? What well, was the... it was June, so it's the middle of winter. It's pretty cold. Um, I found... I was making love to a um, disabled toilet heater. The hairdryer? The hairdryer, hair yeah. yeah. It was sort of like, no, hand dryer. It was a oh, hand dryer. Yeah. Oh, and hand I was dryer. doing like this. <laughs> oh, I was what doing. Was I was doing. <laughs> yeah. I think it was Dyson. Yeah. <laughs> Dyson, yeah. And Dyson uh, saved my life because then I had, could actually use my fingers because I was using my nose to dial the number to try and unlock my iPhone because <laughs> I got to a stage where it was like freezing fog um, I got 600 k's in and I was stages of hypothermia my body was shutting down and it was like stage two and not good um, yeah Unfortunately, um, I was doing some sort of yoga pretzel into the Dyson (laughs) where both my feet and my hands were sort of lodged in there and then this poor old guy just wanted to come in and use the bathroom, got the sight of his life. uh, It's like, man, are you alright? I was like, yeah, just, you know, I've been riding from Melbourne and the poor bugger just got... Anyway, he helped me out and locked my phone and got to dial Uncle Pete and then I had to call Uncle Pete all the way up from Sydney. He had to come and rescue me. So very embarrassing, but that's essentially not packing enough warm yeah. kit. I had, I think, one really lightweight pair of gloves. It wasn't enough. Um, I was actually wearing this. I took this um, gilet, North Face gilet, because I didn't have a synthetic down hooded jacket at that stage, something I purchased later on. Um, but I think that's a lot about the trial and error of these sorts of things. You, 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 you do your, um, you do your, your, uh, your rides. Sorry, we. It's Friday at the virtual curve shed, but there's actually. <laughs> it's actually the real curve. It's shed. actually the real curve shed, and there's a few guys here celebrating our uh, successful week of selling bikes. So there's few too many beers. And Sarah, Flex Googly, is of course the ringleader. <laughs> but um, yeah, coming back to those kind of first forays into becoming Jesse Carson. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, that was the day I, I was defeated. And um, 
you then learn from those, you know. And the mm. next day, I, I kind of figured out what the issues were. Mm. I didn't have power at that stage. Like, I wasn't running a dynamo. I just thought, well, there's loads of services up the road. And mm. you've got to also, when you're doing your navigating, figure out what's around you and your surroundings. It, it was kind of a known um, kind of route. It was just <laughs> straight up the guts. The conditions actually, got you. Uh, just to but bank on what you what you did there, um, on what you just said before, it's like the biggest the biggest unexpected thing that you have, or well, for me, which I found out on the first first night of ever doing like, multi day riding, is not everything is open all the time, and especially where you're riding to, you're like you're not riding, doing multi day rides in a city, you're, you're out in the country, and the first day I rode out, got got to um, a discovery park set, um, at a mountain in Tasmania, I can't remember which one and it was closed and I learnt a very strong lesson then oh, is to do yeah. your research So that was going to be your accommodation, was it? Uh, well, the accommodation was sorted because I'd already booked it, but uh, food. No, food. no food and then not only are you stuck there, but you can't leave until they open and a lot of these places in the country are only open at 9am so you're kind of stuck for a few hours you can't leave first thing in the morning Yeah so I think it's interesting listening to both of you talk here. So um, with the exception of that experience, Nick was talking about his first ride. It sounded like he'd researched the kit and he'd made some calls on what to take and so on. Um, so Nick's sitting on the side of doing the research before heading out, whereas oh, Amo wow, Rhino man. is um, <laughs> what, what I'd, call, yeah, I'd call a more, more of an experiential learner. You could sit down with a man like Rhino and say, okay, you're going to need this, this and this, and he would sit there nod politely and then just head out with nothing and learn the hard way so i think it's interesting you can go from you can go from top down where you do all the planning and and pack someone else's gear list essentially and go out and see what happens and you pair it back and you change things according to what suits you or you can go the other way and you can you can go from bottom up start with nothing and, and learn the hard way about what you really need yeah i must admit it was pretty much the same for the for the indie pack really Nick very kindly helped me with the last of the route because I was working two jobs and training and stuff so we um, we pretty much were so time poor or I was time poor at, at that stage mm. um, and yeah I was woefully underprepared in terms of like what services were available and stuff and I was just like and we're well, doing that the night before it's the night before the race <laughs> I'll just kind of jot down a few things and I'm sure it'll be fine yeah I've you're like Nick what's the nearest town to here yeah 800k is yeah that'll be fine yes. uh, what's, what's the next sweet next yeah. yeah yeah what do you reckon yeah 800k's yeah I'm gonna do 400k's a day no worries Woo. <laughs> it's fascinating again like just a, a little bit of insight onto that so you, you guys were doing that on the last night and fascinating thing about the indie pack was um, managed to get an insight into how say Mike Paul or Christoph yeah. were, were planning as well and because I know how I, I plan for these races and and um, I've kind of shown Sarah that way as well so for instance we between myself and Sarah we'd research where all the huts were in the high country whether they were toilets or whether they were shelters everyone knew we all knew which where this oh, really? where the service points were Smart, and, and the, the parking areas were at, you know on the first night even so we could duck in if there was a toilet where we could get shelter uh, okay um just and uh so um and it was it was fascinating that um in just having casual chats with christoph and mike beforehand um they too knew where all these things were. Oh, did they? Yeah. So it's yeah. all desk-based research, really. Yeah. But, um, but they're also like 10, 15-year veterans, aren't yeah, they? Yeah. But these the thing guys is, are seriously peppered warriors yeah. of the uh, the long road. But it's the it's the sort of thing where you know, <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> remarkable. <laughs> Almost, I sort of, yeah. Had goosebumps. Though. I know. <laughs> you know, half a Cooper's, and I'll say anything. Yeah, no, it was, it was beautiful. But it was very interesting to see where, I guess, with those guys and the more experienced guys, um, the kit is something you can just put together at the last minute. Really, you do your yeah. planning around the route, um, and that determines the kit. I've learned. So, I've yeah. learned. I've learned this now um, mm. for the next one. For sure. So I think the thing that frustrates me a little bit, I guess, with all this bike packing stuff if you call it that, multi-day bike riding yeah. is, I think people are kind of really focused on the gear. I think the way I'd love to see it work is people go, okay, well, this is what I want to do. 
Um, maybe yeah. I want to ride from Melbourne to Adelaide. And then you think about, well, what sort of gear would I need to be comfortable? And then you work out how you're going to strap it to your bike. Bicycle. Um, yes, you, you, got it. You kind of put it on your <laughs> helmet. You can, yep. <laughs> you can carry a backpack if you want, if that suits yeah, your style. But, but yeah, maybe that doesn't yeah. work. But So the thing is, my first, my first um, overnight ride yeah. was, Did was you a ride it? to... I think I... Yeah, I did have a backpack. Yeah. I, had a, I had a camelback. Um, my first trip was I rode from Melbourne to Adelaide. And the reason I did that was I remember looking at Andy White, who runs Fixo. Legend. Um, absolute legend. Um, and he, on the podcast. He, <laughs> yeah, we're going to get him on yeah, the we'll podcast. Yeah, we'll have to get him on the podcast. Shout out to Andy yeah. for listening. Yeah, because he's got um, that new plus, plus bike being built. Yeah. Ooh. So we had to... So I, I read a blog post that, that he put out where he rode over to Adelaide um, to go and see the Tour Down Under. And prior to that point, I thought bike touring, that meant you had to wear those little round tiny glasses and you had to have all those massive um, Zip bags. Ties. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Zip ties. And you had to have these yeah. massive um, bags strapped to your forks and the back of your bike. And, you, and so your bike basically looked like it had four bath ridges yeah. attached to it. The uglification um, process. And I thought, well, I need... I, I don't have a bike that could do that because you need to have you know special pannier attachment racks, points, racks yeah. and panniers and so on. Um, but then I saw Andy White um, and his ride, and the takeaway from his blog post was I worked out that I needed maybe a change of clothes um, and a, a, some camera kit because I love taking photos, and I threw it in the backpack and off I went. And because what he was doing, he was he worked out that he was going to ride to you know this point here, whatever town that was. That's where he was staying. He was just staying at a pub. Go in, have a beer, have a meal, sleep, and then jump on the bike the next day. So in order to do that, it's not much different to a, a day ride. So he didn't really need to strap anything to his bike. He just worked out what he wanted to take, and off he went. And I was like, yeah, actually, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Exactly. I don't have to worry about this bike packing starter kit or any mm. preconceived ideas. You now just, look at that yeah, pilgrimage. You just go, well, what do I need to, to take on this ride? What do I want to be comfortable and how am I going to pack it? So, sure, you can go to the Apadura side and, and select all, all your, your bags and then fill them with all these goodies. But or you can go the other way around. You can go, well, just as a starting point, um, maybe just try it out. Do a few overnighters, head out, stay in a pub, something like that, country pub. Find a good reason to go out there. Maybe there's a great dirt a road pub. climb or something, or maybe it's a great country pub. <laughs> That's a reason enough for me. But you, um, BNS ball. Yeah. you can, yeah, be BNS ball. Actually, don't, don't yeah. ride. Do not ride <laughs> we, within 200 kilometers of the BNS we went ball. A few BNSs. You will get pelted by all sorts of. The girls are quite bottles. receptive to lycra, I must yeah. say. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, you'll get pelted by bottles and cans along the way. But but anyway, so you can. You don't need to buy all this stuff up front. You can do all sorts. You, you just you can get a few dry bags, and you can get a dry bag and strap it with some Velcro to your handlebars, and that's that's probably great. Um, you mm. can probably carry a backpack or a Camelback and carry well, a lot of stuff in that. So. Daniel and I, when we did the, we had this New Year's Eve great drunken idea, which was New Year's Day we'll leave from Sydney to Melbourne, and we were like, oh. I'll just take a backpack right and we had flip-flops shorts and a t-shirt and then we're like well it's not a remote route we can just whenever we get tired we'll just find at lunchtime we'll just phone for the nearest hotel that we think mm. we're going to get to and we'll stay there the night and then we just kept on doing that and then we'd play these games like who could find the cheapest accommodation at lunch and we try <laughs> and head for that for that one and it was great fun i'd never use a backpack again mm. but yeah, that's kind of how, yeah, how we did it. They it can like, be... I mean, some people... I know in the Tour Divide, some people will still wear backpacks. Josh Cato, he's done really well in the Tour Divide. I think he runs a backpack when he does the whole whole thing in the, yeah. in the Tour Divide. But, um, you I'm know, sure it's not it's for everyone. It's not for everyone. It's more supportive. It's probably got, like, waist straps and yeah, really maybe. funky, like, back protection. But and I can't like think that. of anything worse. I feel like a... I don't like stuff on my back. Yeah, I feel like a tortoise... Um, with, you yeah, could, with this big shell You could upgrade that to a Ninja Turtle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of the other questions people have been really interested in is bike setup for these multi-day rides or bike packing. Mm -hmm. um, let's start with Nick on this. How would you... How, what, what would you do differently? Uh, for my bike packing setup? Yeah. Uh, the next... 
the next race I'm planning on doing is off-road. So I won't be using a CX bike with slicks. I'll be using a mountain bike. Uh, also for mountains, I'm a bit nervous about the dynamo setup. So I'm going to see if I can get a bit more lateral thinking with lighting. Um, but yeah, because oh, you don't think they'll be able to. I don't think it'll be able fast enough to keep the and and even enough to keep the charge Just through so everything. People understand what what you yeah you, what your concerns are about mountains. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean uh, yeah, no, no, you're no, no, extremely yeah. slow climbing. Um, that's a valid concern. Straight, yeah. Um, a lot of questions I got with my so this is for road touring was my one by setup, and I found that. For multi-day stuff, you're putting out such a low power output that worrying about a bigger or inner ring and stuff isn't really all that important. It's all about just keeping moving and the momentum. And if you're stuck in between two gears, you're always going to end up picking the um, the easier gear. Mm-hmm. So I, I ran a one by ten set up for the Indy Pack, and uh, I'm planning on this next race to run a single speed. But I've got to see how viable it is because I'm worried about risking injury but, but it would be good single speed but yes. would you do something would you do with different mountains. things set up different things with your setup for a multi-day thing versus you know a bike that you'd be riding around on group rides and stuff like that or would you use the same setup uh a good thing would be to call back on would be a tour down under pilgrimage yeah i use my road bike i found it quite good I'd it was just with a seat pack and just clothes and that's the thing like for a multi-day thing you're riding such a fast, dis- a vast distance that the the weather that you're at when you start isn't necessarily going to be the weather that you're going to be in the same, like 12 hours down the track, mm. 24 hours down the track. It's the I reckon it's the clothing, and mm. it's and it's taking the extra clothing is more like important di- is than bike setup. Well, that's the yeah. scenic fact there. What about you, Rhino, with the bike setup? Do you would you suggest doing something differently for multi-day stuff versus? I think group the, riding stuff. you know the whole thing about researching would maybe if I researched more it would then dictate how much I'd take like I, I only realised a few days into the Indy Pack I didn't actually need to carry like four or five litres of water <laughs> yeah. um, so you're lugging around an extra three four kilos which isn't helpful anyway and you've got so much extra kit on top of that, I had extra bladders and um, sleeping bags and things that I could really have done without. Um, and extra, like, spare nicks and jerseys and things that you... So, so you could maybe lighten, kit, yeah. lighten the load a yeah. bit, because I was, like, 18 kilos. Um, what about bike setup, though? The bike itself? Oh, like, yeah, in yeah. terms of... Yeah, people are interested oh, in right. bikes. Oh, right. Sorry, yeah. I thought you meant, like, in terms of... Uglification of no, said no, bike no, no, no. in setup. No, like setup in terms of say you know you're going to be out doing your your bunch ride. Yeah. Day to day, would you ride that same bike on a multi day thing like the Indy Pack, for example? Well, I do. Like my Belgie is my roadie. It's the bike I've raced on. You know, I do crits on. I've ridden across Australia on it. The only difference was I had a Dynamo. Mm. So. I'm still actually using the same rim. Just, yeah. just had a um, my DT Swiss hub laced back into it. Um, yeah, and obviously I've taken off the um, the aero bars. Yep. So the different hand positions are useful mm. for sure. Like my hands, I couldn't actually use the feeling in my hands have come back now, and mm. we're in what August. Yeah. And we finished. I finished in April. So it takes a while. Takes yeah. a while. Like yeah. I've still got still get those things through my arm and shoulder. So. Mm. It, it, I wouldn't not. I was thinking halfway of just getting rid of them because they kind of get in the way when you're climbing and mm, the, the pads, bars. Yeah, yeah, the aero bars. So changing mm. that maybe a little bit around. Mm. Um, yeah, power is important though. Mm. That dynamo was great for me. Yeah, Loved I think it. To just to chime in, I'd, I I think with um, with multi-day stuff, if they're if it's on the road, you can pretty much just ride the same setup. I think there's not yeah. as much strain yeah. on your on your bike as there is off-road. I, I think. Um, so, for instance, if you're and I think I've got a little bit of personal anecdotal proof behind that. So when I raced the Trans America race a couple of years ago, now I set out to build the you know the ultimate touring bike for me, just as a bit yeah. of a personal project. So we're talking. You know, suit the stiffest, lightest clavicular cranks um, um, that 
nice. and were, it was a beautiful titanium belgy bike um deep deep dish carbon rims um still disc brakes though because you know disc brakes um a hell of a lot more durable than yeah. um than rim brakes i guess so if, especially if you're using carbon rims but um but really i think if you're on the road you can pretty much take um the same sort of setup and 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 off you go you, you're going to be pretty much fine i'd always use disc brakes i think just for the 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 durability point um because you just never know what weather you're going to get out there um the, yeah. that road grit um and also if you go through some roadworks and all that sort of stuff where there's gravel roads for 10 or 20 kilometers that you don't expect all that stuff if you have to break it kicks up and you can destroy your rims pretty easily and because you're heavier yeah you're 18 kilos your bikes you yeah know, you've got all that extra breaking, weight too if you're climbing and descending i think that's the only thing i'd change mm. would be to run discs i think if you go yeah because that's right you ran rim, i ran rim, rim brakes, brakes. Yeah. actually yeah. i actually i i did actually ruin a, a rim yeah when i came back oh okay yeah my rear back. my rear rim was actually had a bit of um yeah delamination de yeah, right. and that's because it was just mm. i think also the bike shop put on a, a pad that wasn't for a carbon rim yeah no, um, unfortunate, yeah. but hey. But by that by that same token, though, you it it you don't have to have you know the the highest end of all this sort of stuff to to be the the fastest at these bike packing events. I mean, to to be honest, any bike is an adventure bike, really. Um, you look at the you look at what those bikes put up with in the Spring Classics in Belgium. They're getting an absolute flogging on cobblestones. Um, you know, all day, and and that just suggests these bikes, <laughs> these bikes. We're just putting the bins out here at the moment, <laughs> everyone. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> um, so I mean, to me, that suggests that every bike is capable of of being an adventure bike. Um, so, but I think if I'm if you if you go to off road stuff, so it, especially things like the Tour Divide and mountain biking stuff. Um, I think it becomes more important to err on the, to to go towards durability. Um, so if I'm thinking about the Shimano range, I'd never run you know XT XTR. Expensive um, to yeah. replace. <laughs> I'd never run that. I mean, amazing amazing product, um, incredible stuff. But you know, XT is incredible. XT yeah. is in incredible, incredibly durable, <coughs> hell of a lot cheaper, and it's just it's going to be my pick every time if I was going to do something like the the tour divide over over xtr if you look at some of the setups even on the road or off-road for for these for the guys at the pointy end look at christoph in the indie pack he's riding a steel bike um you know basic alloy rims and you, and you look at this setup and it's what he rides week in week out it's not the lightest thing in the world it's something that he's got 100 percent confidence yeah. in and confidence is really important when you're racing at the pointy end of those events even um, ran his campaign grip set yeah. Like exactly how you'd have yeah. a road bike now, the Waikul Cafe. Yeah. That yep. guy does not carry much, though. And, yeah, if you look through all the footage and through the photos and stuff, he had hardly anything. Yeah. Mm. Very Sleeping impressive. on the side of the climb. At Falls. At Falls. That must have been... And if he did that a week later, he would have been in... Yeah. Because it snowed. Because I did it. I did it. <laughs> yeah, snow. Yeah. Woo. But I think Christoph's built in a different factory, I think it's yeah. fair to say. Yeah, um, he is. He was built in that factory where, man, a lot of pain and suffering. It's <laughs> <laughs> the same factory where Terminator was built. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's very impressive. Um, so wow. for people, I don't know, for people who wanted to head out and, and or people who were interested in doing, um, whether it's a bikepacking event or getting into some multi-day stuff, you know, any advice for them, Nick? Uh pretty much what I've outlined already uh, if I can any other advice I'll go to Ryan first I think something might okay we'll let you let Nick stew on it don't let the distance scare you you know a lot of people are like oh I don't know if I can ride 400k's or what do you mean like you're doing this kind of 800k's in two days it's like yeah but you've only been when you go out for a ride you probably only ride with your mates for a couple of hours and then you come back home why don't you go for a ride with your mates and then just keep riding yeah. and see how far you can ride because you'll be surprised like if you're a cyclist or even if you're new in cycling the guys that were doing these indie pack adventures they're only averaging like 20 k's an hour the only difference is they're spending a lot more time on the bike mm. 
and that some of them can just go for days and days and days doing doing that day in day out. Um, so yeah, don't let the distance scare you. Really, I think you were perhaps a bit concerned. And, about and the that. task itself, don't let that scare you. Like I planned my first multi-day trip and stressing out. I got this and that, and then once you're out on the bike, then you're like, oh, it's fine. It's just <laughs> it's just like I'm riding like I am normally. And it's like, all right, well, I'll need to eat soon, but that time will come. I'll need to do this soon, but I'm on track. Yeah, it's 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 dawning, but until you turn that first pedal, then everything just kind of lifts. All the stresses lift away, and you're like, all right, well, this is. I'm doing it now and yeah, there's nothing you really have to worry about. I think maybe a good way to get into this sort of stuff is um, you plan out a bit of a, a mission with a few mates um, and staying at country pubs and that sort of thing is, is a great way to get out and experience this sort of stuff. You don't have to carry a hell of a lot more, but mm. you sort of, you, you're sort of getting over that barrier of, of heading out and not coming back home that night. Um, but you still got the luxury of maybe a warm shower at the end of the day, that sort of stuff. Um, and then maybe the next step beyond that is, I don't know, maybe carry some camping gear if you want to get into that sort of stuff and, and give that a try. But I think it's, it's important, like all this stuff, people I think might get carried away a little bit with the romance of it, a bit of a big mission, adventure on a bike and all that sort of thing. But, you know, the reality can be something different you could be slogging through mud for eight hours or you know riding in a torrential downpour or it could be run out of food or run out of food or you know you deal with all those ups and downs that go with with those sort of adventures but um yeah i think ease into it give it a try see if you like it and if you do well just gradually build up the kit and do you know just incrementally make things a little bit harder or a little bit further or whatever but it's a great it's a great joy to go out and do these things with a few mates and i think some of the most fun i've had is just stuff that we've done locally around victoria or you know our another great way to get involved would be our annual um pilgrimage to the tour down under where we ride um we ride from melbourne to adelaide fun afterwards (laughs) (laughs) we ride from melbourne yeah i mean it is about the 10 hour mark onwards yeah Yeah, so we ride melbourne to adelaide 800 kilometers over two days we do 450 on the first day and and 350 on the second they those numbers sound huge but um if you're you know if you're a reasonably fit pretty keen bike rider i'm sure we'd be able to get you through it's two 16 hour days yeah Yeah. essentially that's Um, what it transpires to 16 hours in the saddle unless like last year you have a crazy 30k an hour headwind (laughs) and it turns into day 124 hours in the saddle and as long as you can get back on it as well if you stop and dawdle about and stuff then it gets difficult mm. but uh, yeah but yeah you get back if, on the bike and yeah you'll, you'll have to put up with uh, me constantly saying <laughs> two all right guys two minutes we've got places to be we've got places yeah. to be let's roll let's roll but that um, shows you the difference between your caliber of like ultra riding or ultra distance riding mm. or whatever you want to call it bikepacking and like Nick and I, we like sit down and then all of a sudden we're like, oh, should we have a beer? Oh, they do pizza. And then next one yeah. we're having a conversation. We've lost two hours. Jesse's already been riding for an hour and a half. And, and this is going to be the yeah. maven placement for this podcast. Mark will pull out his phone and want to do like a live feed just as we're about to leave. He's like, oh, hang on, guys. This video is going to take about eight minutes. That's the biggest thing is if you ever want to get into this seriously it's your marriage between total time and ride time and how quick or how closely you can get those two to become the same thing jesse can ride for these huge distances and he'll be very efficient with his time Mm -hmm. whereas guys that are much newer to the sport they even though they don't realize it they just waste so much Mm -hmm. time Uh, yeah on instagram and messing around on facebook and just you know sitting down yeah number number one jesse rule for the tdu pilgrimage helmet stays on and you don't sit down yeah (laughs) lean against the fence do whatever you want yeah keep your helmet on stuff it down your jumper two minutes people (laughs) let's go (laughs) that's how you get it done like if you didn't do that we wouldn't be able to cover those distances yeah you have to keep people moving i think and look, if you're just heading out with some mates and you don't really care how long it takes, then that's that's fantastic. You know, enjoy the sites out there, enjoy these new locations, enjoy that country bakery and sample that weird donut that you've never seen before, or whatever. <laughs> but 
But um, if you've got to cover four, 450Ks in a day, you've got to crack the whip on people. And I think that's the big difference I've noticed between, you know, the the typical roadie out there the and the guys who do these sort of ultra endurance stuff, uh, endurance things. You talk to the, the roadies and they'll go, oh, we'll average 30Ks, no worries, over the day. So 400, they'll do the math on that. Um, but they don't account for stop time no. if you ride with those guys that's the they are the times when the you get the biggest disparity between the moving average speed and total average speed Case it's, in inc- point. it's incredible classic roadie over here <laughs> rhino we spend more time in the cafe than we do cycling <laughs> yeah we just smashed out 100 k's man we're like flying so oh, yeah total ride time three hours why are you back at two o'clock in the afternoon <laughs> So I think it was it was quite funny when we we did this we did this pilgrimage ride over to Adelaide with a a group of re, very capable riders and when we're on the bike we were we were sort of you know there's half wheeling and all this stuff happening at the front yeah, we're, we're sitting on we're, sorry, we're sitting on forty plus k's an hour while we're riding and and then but we had to stop all the time it was amazing yet um, I did a very similar ride with well, actually twice um, in the weeks prior. And we Sarah. once with once with Sarah, yeah. and I think our first stop on the the first road might have been about 260 k's in, <laughs> and so yeah, and, and it, I was just back from I was just, yeah. I was just marveling at the fact that okay, you know, when I rode with the guys, we stopped there, oh, and we stopped there too, and we stopped here, and it was fascinating. So with Sarah and I, we were just pottering away, tapping away, um, we didn't stop, but um, with the with the guys who were capable roadies, we were sitting on 40 plus. But Sarah and I, I think we, if we look at total ride time, when we rode straight through, we're about four hours faster with harsher conditions. Um, and we didn't stop. We, we didn't stop for sleep or anything. Um, but with all the roadie guys, we had the luxury of a night's sleep. <laughs> but still, if you look at the total, total time on the road, we were about oh, four hours quicker. Um, even though we weren't, we weren't really pushing ourselves at all. We just didn't stop. I remember you um, let Sarah sleep for maybe a few, few minutes <laughs> as she was like... <laughs> sort of suffering a little bit by the uh, Yoda that was cracking the whip and um, you literally let her sleep for like four or five minutes and then uh, got, I think that was on the way back yeah, well, did you guys ride back as well? yeah I think if you want to I don't know this is probably getting into the I think you were training her though yeah, for the trans this is getting into some of the secrets of, of racing really yeah. where if you really want to race race this stuff well if you want to if you want to bring people into this the inner circle yeah. of how this racing works, you have to smash through all their preconceived ideas. Um, <laughs> so, say so you're, you're riding a bike and you get tired, Rhino. Um, yeah. What would you do? You go, oh, well, we've got to pull up for a for some sleep now. Yeah. You want to get a good sleep. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> and so, how long are you going to sleep for? You might sleep for you know you yeah. sleep for hours, well, right? Six hours sounds yeah. nice. But um, eight. But, <laughs> but unless unless you've really tested it, um, yeah. you won't understand the the power of a ten minute nap. Um, and so if you, uh, I remember when we were, when we were, I was helping Sarah get ready for all these races, a big part of the familiarisation or training, this, these things aren't anything to do with riding really. It's about not stopping um, yeah. and understanding what you're capable of. And so I remember Sarah was just at breaking point. Um, you know, she was tired. She was like, "All right, I need to sleep. I've got to sleep." I was like, "Well, okay, you've got um, just have a sleep then." Um, it's like where? It's like, well, just on the rocks, like on the side of the road. If you're tired, you're gonna sleep. And it's like, I'll set the alarm for ten minutes. And she's like, oh, "Okay, right." <laughs> um, and so yeah, she lay on the ground, Best shut the eyes, ever. ten minutes. I was sitting there watching watching the clock. It was actually hard on me because I had to pretend I wasn't tired. <laughs> and then, and then after ten minutes, back on the bike, and she was like, oh, "Okay, yeah, I feel a lot better now." Yeah. Um, and then maybe two hours later, you have another ten minutes. Um, and if that doesn't work, well, eventually, you know, you're going to put down, put yourself down for a longer, longer rest. But, I mean, that's the situation where we're trying to, we're getting through. 800 k's we're just missing out on like one night without sleep we're not you're not doing anything dangerous or anything like that but yeah um just showing you but what just power showing you what does. you can do and it can get down to if you're a bit tired in the afternoon or whatever you just have if you just shut your eyes for five minutes it, it does a world of good 
Um, so yeah, there's there's when that's you get into racing, extreme end, yeah. yeah, when you get into racing these things at the pointy end, then um, that's important. I mean, even and the guys racing at the pointy end, they're they're always looking after themselves. I know you know there's the tragic death of Mike in the Indy Pack, but on the first day of the Indy Pack. Um, he had a half an hour sleep on the side of the road yeah. in the afternoon because he was feeling tired. So, yeah, it's because it was St. Patrick's Day and he was staying in that bloody pub <laughs> and those buggers kept him awake all night. He but had anyway. like two hours sleep. It's actually, just that's how the, he started. The just race. on the back of that, Jesse, um, on the first night of the Teddy pilgrimage, so to know it costs 450 Ks, and one thing I've always wanted to know what it would be like to do 500 Ks in a day. And um, well, let's, uh, do it. No. <laughs> let's go. Um, do it. it was, and after having a really long discussion with Jesse, the, the whole just shortening it by 50k has added a lot of quality to your trip and made it much more enjoyable. Because the thing was, you go, Oh, yeah, I'll just go between these two points. You pass this big town at 450k's and you can't pedal anymore. And if you do pedal 50k's more, you're going to end up in a bush, like, there's, there's nothing. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, there's just nothing out so there. So yeah. there's nothing out yeah. there, and I did talk to Jesse a few times. And I'm like, oh, wouldn't it be great to split it to 500 to 300? And he's like, you can't, because you're going to end up in the middle of nowhere. It would be yeah. great, Nick. Yes, it would be. <laughs> I can't wait. To but uh, when it got to that, yeah, 450k mark, you're like, I can't do another another pedal stroke. This is yeah. But it, and so you're kind of singing Narakute, Narakute <laughs> for like the last couple of yeah. hours, going, man, can you imagine riding? Even, even on this massive digress too, it's you'll have. Oh, I'm going to open up another subject matter, but it's all it's all these peaks and troughs of your of your psyche while while you're doing it. Like yeah. you will be happy at certain times, Don't and you will, coke, yeah. and you will, <laughs> and you will feel terrible at other times. And you and when, even though Narakot was the end of the first day at 450k's, like I actually didn't feel that bad, but a couple of hours ago completely ratchet mm. and, and didn't think and thought I was going to have to like pull up Man, I'm like did, I don't know if we could keep going on but yeah I think very well I think I one of the remarkable things day. about about Rhino here is that I've never seen anyone be so over the top chatty where no matter whether he was feeling great on the bike or whether he was feeling absolutely <laughs> terrible you know he's feeling great on the bike we're getting songs he's playing with pronunciation pronunciation of town names um it's Tell incredible stories about Telling <laughs> anything that and pops he, into my tiny little mind and when he's when he's really down geez you're gonna hear about it it's like oh i can't turn the pedals i'm dead i'm never drinking coke again <laughs> yeah that coke messed me up man <laughs> That coke was the worst thing I could have ever done. Mm. You have these massive swings, like you're high as a kite. You know, there's so much sugar coursing through little little rhino's veins. <laughs> <laughs> you know, singing songs. Next minute, there's no more coke. Crash. Yeah, there's no more sugar and there's no more caffeine. And you're close to suicidal. Down you go. Yeah, yeah. really. Like, and they just got bigger and higher and deeper, higher, mm. deeper, higher, deeper. Yeah. So it was, yeah. I think it's. I think it's when it comes to nutrition as well. It's uh, like a constant um, intake, not these huge, massive. Oh, we just. So we're going car leaving. We we aren't. Look, let's be let's be honest here. We're not at the virtual curve shed here. We're at the real. We're at the curve shed. We're at the curve shed itself. I think actually nutrition's interesting. I know we we we're, we're running overtime, but this is this is interesting stuff. I have to break it into a two part series. Yeah, two part yeah. series, perhaps. Um, it's getting dark. I've, I've never. <laughs> I've never, and I've got the battery pack out now. Um, we're back. We're bike packing our way through this podcast. We need a dynamo. Um, but but Nick is. I've never seen eat anyone <laughs> eat as fast as Nick could eat. And so when Nick was telling me about doing the indie pack, I thought, actually, he's gone places. This guy's going <laughs> to win. Because the longer, as we all know, the longer the event, the more it becomes an eating competition, just with a bit of riding thrown in. Um, and there isn't a man that can beat Nick at eating. There some, isn't. Some I've seen an entire eating. Sunday roast. I have literally just sat down. <laughs> I've looked, turned, and I've eaten one potato. I've looked at Nick. 
it's gone and you can kind of tell by the big beard that there's a few little remnants of something <laughs> that he's eaten but it's gone uh, so like... how do you find nutrition on these on these multi-day rides is it um is it is it a challenge uh it's a challenge packing enough. So I use like between I, the I, I say nutrition inverted in inverted commas as well because you know you never know what you're going to get out. And you're lactose intolerant as well. Yeah, lactose intolerant, which isn't which, which is a good it for an yeah. Interesting day with riding with Nick and he's yeah, I, 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 milk. I lived off the, <laughs> lived off that big M's and stuff and uh, and and what was that one Let's in Adelaide? Just say the tent is good. always warm. Yeah. <laughs> what was a good yeah. feel good milk in yeah. Adelaide? Um, yeah, but nutrition. Yeah, nutrition for uh, it really is nearly its, its own subject on its own. Everyone asks you uh, that has never bikepacked, oh, do you take dehydrated food? And you just can't. There's just not enough storage. You'd have to take the water to be able to do it, as well as the cooking equipment to be able to cook it and get the water into it. Uh, yeah, you just buy on the side of the road. It's food. You want to go for the highest calorie food you can oh this is in a racing sense the highest calorie food you can that takes up the smallest amount of space because you've you've got to go between these big towns and even if that's not the case you don't want to be stopping every hour because every hour you're stopping you're losing Mm. 10 minutes here 10 minutes there just yeah uh chocolate uh a pretty typical malabar indie pack was two poles of veggies steamed veggies and a steak burger and then I'd buy, I tried to buy a chocolate bar for every hour I was on the bike. So 10 hours, so it'd be 10 chocolate bars. And then there'd be a steak sandwich and then another <laughs> bowl of veggies at the other end. <laughs> and that's, so you would be spending a couple of hundred bucks every yeah, stop. Yeah, every day would be hundreds of dollars on food. Tell you what, I must have spent three and a half yeah. thousand dollars on food. What was your biggest, Rhino, what was your biggest... Uh, biggest bill at a roadhouse. Oh, I think you guys put that on bloody Instagram. Macca's Port Augusta. It was. Macca's Port Augusta. Good memory. Yeah, tell us about Macca's Port Augusta. Oh, it was... um, So we're still on the theme of nutrition here. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, just for clarification purposes. But, I mean, you're burning... Well, Christoph's burning 20,000, he was saying. I was probably burning, I don't know, 14,000, 15,000 calories a, a day. So, yeah, $80, $90 for breakfast at McDonald's. And you should see how many tables you can fill with $90 worth of breakfast. What are we talking? What do you get for $90 at McDonald's? You get eight pancakes with eight coffees. Um, hang, on, <laughs> hang on, eight <laughs> serves of pancakes? Eight serves. Oh, how, how many pancakes are in a serve? I think you get like two, two or something. three. Yeah. Right. And so it's covered 20, in butter 20, and 20, syrup. 24 pancakes. You right. smuggle those things into your mouth. Mm. like they're diamonds <laughs> so yeah, they those things go in first and then you're just you're getting those milkshakes and I remember from you saying just club a few milkshakes trick your body into thinking that you haven't even eaten yet mm. just keep going just keep going just keep going and then just then we got through the milkshakes and the pancakes and then we went on to those little breakfast burritos I got four of those <laughs> breakfast burritos couple of flat whites in between the breakfast burritos and then the greatest thing these things are like cockroaches that can withstand a nuclear blast the cheese and ham toasty (laughs) i had maybe eight or nine of those little guys and then a couple for for lunch and the great thing is they're toasted the bread's then obviously hardened, so it doesn't get soggy. <laughs> Very smart, and you know you, you can just jam these in. Yeah. You like that's me motioning to flat pack the toasty, and they'll fit anywhere. You can put these in your bibs. You can put these down <laughs> down, <laughs> down down the front of your jersey. You can put a few in the back of your jersey. You can put these in your saddlebag. Um, you can cut up your little eagle toy and put a little sandwich in in him. <laughs> You know, very capable, um, and the great thing about these, they last all day. Mm. I had one that was cooking on the back of my um, Revelate, <laughs> well, it's actually your Revelate bag that I borrowed, and that thing lasted all day, and it was still warm when I went to chow it. Later on, um, it must have been, yeah, 400 Ks later. Mm. It was wow. delightful, and I, I think the toasties I learnt from you, yeah, and the orange juice. And the big M's. No. I think it's it's interesting with the nutrition stuff. We we kind of joking around about 
this atrocious food that you you have to eat out there but the thing is if you're traveling pretty light you don't have you 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 can't really take stuff from the start you know as nick said dehydrated food and so on's out it's fine if you if you don't care how much stuff you're carrying you've got plenty of room well fine take all that stuff yeah take camping equipment and you know sit around the fire and all that sort of stuff and that's that's fantastic you can have a great time doing that Um, ali d from cycling about has got this great little trailer if you want to check out his um video blogs and things cycling about and Mm. he's got this awesome little trailer that you can pretty much put as much food in as you want yeah but here's a few here's a few little tips though um just to chime in with a bit of experience on this (laughs) side (laughs) as well um we're joking about nutrition but um electrolytes are critical on these sorts of things and so you don't again you don't have have room for carrying powders and all that sort of stuff and supplements but um You'd be if you, you look into it, you'll you'll find that it's very easy to be, to make a very a, a, a ghetto sports drink really yeah. by pouring a bit of orange juice into the bottom of a bottle. You don't need much at all to get the amount of potassium you need out of oranges. Mm. Um, and you pour a bit of salt in, yeah. fill it up with water, and you've got a great sports drink. Um, and that's that's enough potassium to support your needs. You always stuff just pouring salt yeah, into his hand. You have to you have to add salt onto your food. Have to have to have to add salt to your food. Um, that's that's critical um and as nick said he chimed in um calorie dense foods are the best way to fuel yourself out there your body gets really efficient after a few days it learns to use fat as a fuel source even it even goes into a ketosis kind of state yeah yeah absolutely even the leanest the leanest of triathletes out there has enough body fat on them to to last 30 days without any food yeah um so your body the, the the most um, the most dense form of calories uh, is fat, um, and your body learns to use that as a fuel source. So, um, so that's that's critical. So, um, you know, you, you sure you can't you can't have your favourite um, Endura powder or whatever out there, but um, you know you can you can do the research and work out you, and realise that potatoes have a lot of potassium. So, eat potatoes. Um, you know that orange juice has a lot of potassium. Eat drink orange juice where you can. Um, Add salt to your food because you know you need you need sodium. Um, and then the next level stuff is when you start, you know, overdosing on different electrolytes and, and what you then do, you know, if you start having mouth sores and all that sort of stuff, what do you do? Mm. Well, maybe you're getting too much chloride. So just, you got to think about what your body wants at the time. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. It's fascinating my, stuff. I, and I guess the, for me, one of the real questions that I'd love to sit around the table with these experienced races I'd love to sorry, ask Jesse, them. Yeah. I'd love, <laughs> sorry, I'd yeah. love to ask them. Sorry about that, folks. Yeah. How long? How long have you kept a subway for? A fo- how, how long? How long does a, a foot-long subway really last? Yeah. Like, would you push it into the third day? That's what I want to know. I want to know well, if you'd push you, it into the third day. How long you pushed a foot long? Oh, look, I'd only go. I'd go into day two, um, yeah. but. And again, with experience, you learn not to put the soupy things onto the sub. Yeah. You learn that, sure, it'd be nice to have tomato on there, but oh, that's gonna, it's going to turn that thing into soup. But unless you toast um, it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> lettuce, lettuce as well, you realise that you're probably going to use more calories eating lettuce than you're yeah. going to get out of the lettuce itself. Do you, know what happens to a, do you know what happens to a tomato, though, in a cheese and ham toasty? It dries. It's yeah. like a dried That's tomato. That's different. It's, it's magical. Magical. It's so <laughs> sweet and ripe, and you're like, oh my goodness. But I think really, like things like the Indie Pack for me is really a, it's really a tour to Subway, um, riding from Adelaide to uh, riding from Adelaide back to Melbourne on the course. I was I was starting to reflect. You know, this could be a, a tour to Subway, and going back on the course. You go, well, I could go from Sejuna and get to Port Augusta probably pretty easy on Subway. From, from, from Port Augusta, I could get to Clare, no worries at all, um, on Subway. And then you go through Adelaide, and then you've got Murray Bridge, you've got Taylor and Ben, more Subway, more Subway. Um, you've got a bit of a drought until you get to Kingston for more Subway there. Um, Kingston, you've got to push on probably to Portland. Um, but you, you know, you oh, actually Mount Gambier. Yeah, yeah, Mount Gambier. You've got yeah. Subway again. You could probably do a tour to Subway. I know the you Tour Divide is a tour to Subway. <laughs> so let me get this right. Your IndyPac route is just essentially <laughs> a tour of your favourite subways yeah, across look, Australia. I wasn't, I wasn't planning to <laughs> inflict the maximum psychological actually, damage on the riders. I was really planning around subways. <laughs> on that point, Jesse, it's actually funny that even though that we're joking about it, you're going to know a town by its size by knowing if it's got a subway. Mm. 
if a town's got a subway and like these tiny little ancillary eateries and stuff like that, you know it's actually going to have like proper food and you're able to eat because you can search Caltex or or BP show whatever any of these any of these uh, like service stations how much is Caltex paying you and, <laughs> and that's um, it's fair enough to search uh, like service stations but service stations vary in size a lot of them don't have food a lot of them are credit card swipe petrol which is no good to you at all. Yeah, so it'll if say 24 bike, hours. But and, if you um, actually but that means from... the shop's shut. <laughs> you can swipe a card to yeah. get petrol. <laughs> Shocking teapot. <laughs> yeah. So actually, even though Jesse's joking about going from town to town that has subways, it is actually quite smart because you can... Those towns, if they're big enough to have a subway, they're going to be big enough for other supplies or for something else or for this. And yeah. they're usually open at and open at a, at a at a yeah mm. at a usual time. Like, like the unfortunate thing is, McDonald's is open nearly twenty four hours yeah, these days, yeah. and their drive through stuff is they won't pretty serve, good. They won't but serve you at if a you're in Canberra. No, not Canberra. It was um, was it Port Augusta well, where where the, we had that drive through? I had to get those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they won't Great serve story. you. They won't serve yeah. you at the drive through at, no, at so McDonald's. I, I had to get into someone's car. Hmm. I got into someone's car. Maybe I was accepting outside assistance. Maybe I shouldn't tell the story Actually, anymore. Yeah, we're rubbing right oh, out. Yeah. <laughs> you got in someone's car and they drove to Adelaide for you. No, yeah. they drove me through. <laughs> through the And then she realised I was in Lycra and I was the kid that was trying to order stuff on my bike. And then yeah. she's like, don't you ever do that again. I was like, but I'm in a car now. Yeah. But it's, it is quite weird it's a bit though. Bizarre. Um, but yeah, look, just a bit of insight into racing at the pointy end. Um, there's no... If you're racing these, if you're racing these things... Um, you know, a lot of the people will, they'll do the search, they'll go to the subway website, they'll look at the towns along the route to see whether there are subways there. They'll get the subway map out and they'll see where the subways well, are and that'll be a key point on the note. So, I mean, not the greatest food in the world, but you're going to at least get a vegetable. Christoph um, even researched if there was a disabled toilet in those places. Yeah. So he could buy his food, sleep in the disabled toilet yeah. and then leave. Yeah. Another little tip from, from the inside on this one as well is... Disabled toilets, when you get to toilet oh. blocks in the middle of nowhere, that's like, yeah. that's first class. That's a mecca. It's it's like a hotel room. Unless you it's go in someone's there. disabled toilet, like I found, <laughs> <laughs> on the way to Sydney. Ah, uh, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do when you remember you, that you got, guy? Yeah, when you got caught out. Yeah, yeah I got yeah. caught out and it was his, yeah, it was, was his, his disabled toilet. That was toilet. his place, yeah. Yeah. But if you're in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> um, and look, I, I think I've seen this as well, like the... You hear people talking about, oh, I had to sleep in the toilet and all that sort of thing. It's three in the morning and they're trying to get two hours of sleep or something. Um, for God's sake, go into the disabled toilet. It's first class. Um, you've got, you, like, you wheel like the bike inside. It is. It's an ensuite. There's so much room to, to lay down and set up. Um, and I, I think I'll, I'll admit to being a bit of an amateur in this space as well. On the first night of the Indie Pack, um, I mean, as we know, I, I can't finish a race, so I pulled out very, very, very early on in the Indy Pack. But the first night of the Indy Pack, um, I knew where all the all these rest areas were and what where the toilets were. So I pulled in. Um, skies opened up a bit. Um, pulled into a little rest area where I knew there was a toilet a bit off the beaten track a little bit, so no one would be in there. And there was only, you know, it was only sort of um, one person up the road anyway. Um, so cruised in because I knew I wasn't going to get hassled by people coming in. The skies were opening up. Thought I'd get like an hour of sleep or something. Um, and yeah, in I went. Of course, I went into the male toilet. Oh, of um, course, it's of like course because I'm, right? I'm a male. Um, and anyway, um, you know, fast forward half an hour later, there's there's some rattling on the door trying to get in, and I'm thinking, oh, okay, right, there's someone else who's found this toilet. This is a bit weird because it's off the beaten track a bit. Ooh. This is sort of round the corner and out the back and yeah. dirt road to get there. Um, and sure anyway into the women's toilet um, they went and bedded down and then um, I, I had another half an hour left to go on my alarm the alarm went off and up I got I heard rustling next door because they were getting up too oh. um, and then got outside there's a light shining in my face it's my call he's like oh Jesse I thought it would be you um, <laughs> and then off we go and it's like he goes you know the women's is always cleaner <laughs> and uh, yeah off we rode and, and you know I couldn't just wake up from a sleep like that and ride it 40k's an hour but obviously Mike could um, and off, off he went into the distance but um, 
yeah, that's it's the the toilets out there. It just a little bit of insight into the the research that goes into the racing at the pointy end. These so Mike knew that there was Mike, a rest yeah, a rest yeah. area there. It wasn't a well marked one, um, and he saw the skies were opening up. So I think for me it was kind of it was I was kind of chuffed that we were both thinking exactly the same thing. It's like well, the skies are opening up. Um, rain's coming down, duck in, got to get some sleep anyway, um, do it now. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of cool for me that he was thinking exactly the same thing. He came out, he's like, oh yeah, I thought it'd be you. <laughs> and off we went. But um, The women's is always clear. Yeah, and I'll, I'll take that with me. So now we, we don't have Mike anymore, but uh, yeah, I've learned that important yeah. lesson from yeah. Mike. <laughs> the women's is always cleaner. But yeah, I remember you telling me that story, it was a good yeah. one. Um, anyway, maybe we'll wrap it up yeah. now. So thank you very much for joining uh, me in the, the virtual curve shed, which is the real curve shed. Um, it looks pretty exciting in there at the moment. Yeah, there's a lot of people um, that have come to say hello. People. So thank you, Rhino. Thank you, Dragon. And thank you, Nick. Oh, thank you, Jesse. Cheers. All right, we'll see you again next time. Okay, there you have it. It's a little bit of a conversation on bikepacking and um, various aspects of it. Uh, from a few people with varying degrees of experience. Hope it was helpful and there's some interesting stories along the way. I hope it wasn't too rowdy in the virtual curve shed this evening. Anyway, um, get in touch with us if you'd like to know more. If there's any topics you'd like us to cover, please get in touch with us at Curve Cycling. You can find us on the social feeds and um, let us know what you'd like to hear about. Until next time, thanks again for uh, joining us and thanks again for Nick uh, and Ryan joining us on the show. Um, talk to you again soon.